Hello boys and girls, hello and welcome to another episode of the Pure Football Podcast with me, Guillem Balaguer. On this one, I'm chatting to Mick Clegg. And some of you may know who he is, some of you may have heard him in relation to Cristiano Ronaldo, and some of you may not know who he is or what he does. It doesn't matter. It's the kind of conversation that I think it will drag you in. Basically, Mick Clegg was a strength and conditioning coach at Manchester United when Cristiano Ronaldo arrived. And he became much more than that. In fact, their relationship made each other better. All of a sudden, an elite coach, somebody that wanted to push the boundaries, met an elite player. Somebody who, yes, wanted also to push the boundaries. And together, they did exactly that. The body of work that Mick Clegg had with him by having worked with Cristiano Ronaldo, that is, he had in his hands the possibility of um, affecting the professional life of, a, of another player and making top elite players well, following the, the, the ideas and the work that he had done with Cristiano Ronaldo. Basically, that, um, it's, it's something that, in the eyes of Mick Clegg, made him... Uh, in possession of some kind of Bible, but it crushed him as well, because he realized very soon that there is nobody like Cristiano Ronaldo. In fact, as Cristiano Ronaldo left, soon after, Mick Clegg left football as well. I used uh, that story in my biography of Cristiano Ronaldo, almost like a love story or a love letter that Mick Clegg wrote to Cristiano, saying, you know, you took me to places that I've never been, uh, places that uh, made him, made him, made me better, but at the same time, places that nobody else wanted to go to. And once you abandon uh, Manchester United, there was no reason for me to continue at Manchester United. That's basically what he says in, in the book. And it's one of the many stories that may, makes talking to Mick Clegg a fascinating 45 minutes hour. Uh, it is just uh, not the usual thinker. In, uh, in coaching, it's not just the usual guy that will tell you about physical preparation. It goes beyond that. We delve into, um, into, into his relationship with Cristiano, of course, and where he is and what he does right now. So thank you for dedicating time to this. It's not your usual conversation as you're about to see or hear, but I still hope that you enjoy it. Mick, how are you? I'm all right. You know, for an old fella, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I don't think you're counting the years. You're not <laughs> that kind of guy. No, it's it's counting the years I've got left. And, uh, you know, I, I live for the day. I'm a man of the moment. But I do believe there's quite a possibility that I could live a long life. All my kids have said that they I will live longer than all of them. Now, it's a strange thing <laughs> to, get to come out with. That's because uh, you look after yourself, but also... Because you get involved in projects that give you life, don't take it away from you. Like uh, what we are meeting to talk about, which is the book. Now, uh, before we get into it, I remember you mentioning it the first time that we met when uh, when I was working on the on the Cristiano book, and uh, and I think at the at the end of a very long conversation, there was a moment where you said, "I think there's a book that I could do too," and uh, and it is. It took uh, it took a guess a a while. Uh, the power and the glory. Uh, don't know if to start in why it took you so long or the name of the or the title. Let's go 
for why it took you so long, because there is a story there that you've been meaning to say. Well, I think it was just that we're so busy. I mean, Steve's all got always got lots of different projects going on, and um, Steve I've been your co-writer. The, uh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always his idea. I, I wouldn't never, I would never write a book, and I, obviously, I haven't written a book really. It's Steve who's wrote the book, and he's wrote it based on me just doing what I do, which is talk, tell stories, and uh, try to enjoy my life. You know what I mean. So uh, I had to put some of the chapters in that I had to write myself because obviously it was my history, you know, stuff that Steve, you know, couldn't just say himself, you know what I mean? Intricate details of certain things that were important in the development of the story. So let's go to the title then, uh, Found the Glory. Is that uh, a grand green homage or is it a, is it a prey or, or does it have to do with anything else? No, it was not picked by me. It was it was picked by uh, Stephen Reach, um, because I only, I've only ever considered myself a coach. I'm there to help people. I don't see myself as part of the glory, to be honest with you. It's the lads out there on the football pitch who who, who who created and did the glorious things. You've always got people in the background who're going to help. You know the cooks and the maids and the you know the runners and you know and I, and I'm one of the you know peripheral staff if you like, but. Because uh, the players seem to make the gym a very, very important part of their daily existence, um, that made me feel like my job was well worthwhile. But I was not a uh, I didn't travel with the team like the physio did and, you know, the kit man and all that. But obviously, when it comes to tours, I was on some of the tours, which was fantastic. Um, but no, I never saw myself as part of the glory. And so really, it wasn't my title. I'd have been, uh, you know, um, the power of instruction or the power of wisdom or power, you know, something in that manner, but not glory because I never really glorified myself. I never won any uh, medals or trophies in actual fact because I wouldn't, I weren't part of that group, you know. So at the same so. time, though, yes, power, that's you. Glory is where you aim to get to. And in fact, where some of the people that you work with got. So there is there is a link that uh, straight away attracts the attention. What is this glory, which we're gonna think talk about? But uh, the third part before we get into the, uh, the nitty gritty of the book, um, it's it's why. Why do you feel you you had to say you had to write a book? I would say if there was any reason to write a book, it has to be because of people told me I was a good instructor, a good teacher, a good coach. And some of the things that I did, or a lot of the things that I did, to be honest, was a lot different than anybody else does. And the reason for that is because I was never trained in the university, in the college, in the school to do what I did. I was trained by people from very, very young age, all the way through to top level performers. And I gained my knowledge and insight through them. And that was my children at first. And then it was the fantastic players and, you know, athletes that I worked with. They were the ones that were teaching me through their experiences, telling me what they needed. That was the most important thing. We can all go and coach, you know, a preset program, you know, for somebody's fitness or whatever. But that was never what I was about. Because of my sons, you know, they, they, they're good athletes, but they had to become good athletes by recognizing in themselves what they needed to work on and me as well being their guide if you like and then it came easy to me because they brought the mates and then i went in schools then i went in college as as just a teacher or a coach but not you know somebody who's been 
um, schooled as regards um, papers, you know, certificates and all that. You know, my certificate was the people that I worked with and, you know, what happened to them, I suppose. That is your body of work. The, the, the things that you put into uh, into them, it became standardized, or at least you perhaps used it to see if you could develop others the same the same way. Or But every new athlete you work with added to the work, exactly. uh, uh, the body yeah. of work, which, uh, which I find a fascinating way of, of doing it. I mean, people will, before you, uh, and I'm sure after you, will repeat things. So that's the thing, the, the dumb thing. And instead for you, the... Um, you teaching is as much learning as teaching. That already is a completely different approach, isn't it? Yeah, very, very different. Yeah, I think people rely on laptops and you know what's been taught at universities and stuff like that. Because to be honest with you, stuff that's taught at universities is old school. It takes a long time for these um, courses to be written, and they're not usually written by the actual people who experience what they're writing about and that's where I was getting first-hand experience from the people who were actually using what they needed because they was telling me on the day and I had to come up with something the next day you know and and that was the fascinating that was the excitement you know what I mean somebody asked me about pressure and I I never really felt any pressure with all the you know all the top stars because I I was just trying to understand what people wanted and then give the best that I could with what I came up with. So I didn't really feel pressurised at all. It was, it was in some ways, it was just good fun. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I was studying different things and looking at different ways of thinking. And um, no, so, so there was no pressure. Because I think somebody said yesterday, you know, you must have been under a lot of pressure when you first went there. You know, you've got Roy Keane saying the physios and the manager and they're all looking at you and thinking, what's he going to do? Because nobody told me what to do. I used my own stuff, but all I did was give them the same stuff that I give my kids. <laughs> so I've been doing that for years and years and years. So there was no pressure. But the good thing is, is, is to connect with people of very, very, you know, uh, scientific, if you like, you know, they've been on to the schools and all that. And to try to blend myself with their stuff. And that's what I found really, really exciting is because Rob Swire, who was the head physio at the time, who brought me in, he, he knew about me before he became the head physio because he worked with Alan Michael and Stephen. And as soon as United opened Carrington and he became the head physio, then he brought me in because he said, look, this is where you should be. This is what you've been doing all, you know, virtually all your life. And uh, I want you to run it for us, you know. So it was great to just watch the ideas that I had blend with Rob's ideas from a physiotherapy point of view, because obviously that's about rehabilitation. So there we are, we programming for rehabilitation into performance training. But then we could recognise the important parts of, you know, injury prevention, you know. And so these were fascinating subjects that I'd never done before because it was always about performance for me. And and during that time, I learned so much that I, I would feel confident and comfortable with anybody coming with a problem. And I don't need, uh, I don't know hardly any scientific names at all. I don't even name body parts sometimes when they're saying they've got a problem. So we look at the problem, but not from a scientific point of view, not about... Uh, you know, um, I've got all these charts up. I don't think I could even read half the names on them, you know what I mean? <laughs> but th that's the thing. They, I was given real good instruction by people and didn't need to um, reenact what they were doing. I had a new insight into helping them, and, of course, they helped me then. But you were learning on the job. That's how you describe yeah. it, more or less. Uh, at the same time, you were successfully what you were doing because people were <laughs> queuing up 
to be part of uh, of of, uh, of what you were doing to them. But I just wonder, as it was all so new, and you walk into a world that you didn't know, and in which, in theory, everything had been found out already. If you had at some point a little bit of the imposter syndrome, where you think, "I don't belong here. Uh, I'm trying these things, but uh, you know, maybe one day I'll be found out." Which, by the way, many of us feel, and still, doesn't matter how many books you you write, that's a feeling that goes with you and motivates you sometimes. Did you ever went through any anything like that? I totally agree with you. You know, I mean, me going in there, I thought, why are they asking me? You know, I mean, I I remember that phone call from Brian Kidd. You know, you're talking in 98 now. And him saying, look, um, I've been watching your lads and I know they do plyometrics. It's something I want to introduce to the United's first team. And I said, Brian, you, you can't introduce uh, plyometrics to the United's first team. I said, first of all, I've only ever used it with kids. And really, if you're going to use plyometrics, you've got to, get, uh, you know, I've done it for quite a long time. To give plyometrics to the first team, or a good first team, you know what I mean, but aging, you know, Brucey and Pallister and, you know, Schmeichel and all these people, I, all I saw was the dangers of everything, you know, falling apart of the seams. And it'd be me to blame. He said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I'll, I'll take responsibility. I thought, no, this is something I'm bringing in. And it was a shock that nobody else had, had, had played with these things and really worked with these things. So you go in there and then all the time I'm thinking, surely somebody else is going to come in and going to take over. Eventually they did, you know what I mean? Somebody was very knowledgeable and lots of certificates, you know, they came in and, and obviously I was history. But for, for a long time, I had uh, an opportunity to learn as much as I could and to, to gain my own confidence and popularity. You need to be popular in the gym. You know, uh, I, I work with with my son, Sean, who's my youngest son. And it's good good cop, bad cop. I'm the bad cop now all the time, and he's the good cop, because I'm the one who's having to go at the kids and getting them to spark up and trying to get their minds to really become alive. And then, of course, I can be a little bit over the top with them, especially with the experiences that, that I've had. But then they go on to Sean, and he brings everything down. And, and, and that's the way it is, really. Um, it's just a fascinating opportunity and always thinking that somebody must be far better than you and know more than you and be more, you know, have had more experiences. But it didn't seem to be because even the guys who came in with the, with all the qualifications, they had the qualifications, but they didn't have the experience, experiential knowledge. And that's so important when you're dealing with people at the very top level because they know whether you are confident in what you're doing. And I think that's the old, always been the thing with me, a short ass with a big gob. You know, I always had to shout louder or else nobody would ever see me. And so I made sure that everything that I was saying, I had really experienced before, used before. And then I'm offering it to people until they say to me, I want to work on this. And that's when they give you an opportunity then really to go and learn. And you don't learn it again. It takes too long to go to university to learn what they was asking for. So I had to find it out myself. So, and I just kept going. I thought three years, I'll never get beyond three years. And then the years went on and on. It ended up at 11, 11 and a half, you know. So yeah, I, I totally go with you on that. You know, even now, me the, the book that's been written, I can imagine some people picking that up and absolutely ripping it apart. But I'm not bothered because it's my thing. It's what I did. It's my truth. I pray to God so often for wisdom to understand what I was doing and to be able to give these people what they needed. And I honestly believe that it was God who was leading me into the knowledge. Uh, things just happened and thoughts just came in my head that just blew me away. 
you know, and uh, and off we went, and it was a great trip. Wow, uh, and, and and the glory that's part of the uh, of the praying to uh, to Jesus, and uh, and I guess that that is something that you um, relate very closely. You mentioned it many times. Religion and faith is a very big thing to you, which. Yeah. For a scientist, we can call you that, can we? For, for somebody that explores the science of the body, to actually be so closely linked to faith, isn't that doesn't that create any kind of conflict anywhere? I, I don't think it does, no, because what I do is I have an idea of what I'm looking for and then I go to God and I pray to him and ask him humbly to give me the, the wisdom to understand what's necessary to do and give me the knowledge and understanding. And then I just allow things to happen. And, and each time I do make mistakes and a lot of mistakes, believe me. But in the mistake is the going back to God. And especially if I've sinned, you know, sin, you know, is going against the law. And God has laws, you know, the Ten Commandments that are in the Bible. Quite, you know, they're there, rock solid, the Ten Commandments. And if you don't keep the commandments, then you're going into sin. And so if I sin, which I have. You know, I know that I've got to go back to, to God, humbly ask for forgiveness and then try and get back on track again. So I always believe that, you know, God works with a, a strong hand. And he's strong when he needs, when you need him to do something for you. But he's also strong when he needs to do something for you that's uh, pulling you back down again, you know, putting your feet back on the ground. Do you know what I'm, what I'm getting at? I mean, science is a, it's the, it's a try and test it. Um exercise isn't it you just whatever you go it has to be because you've tested it and it has to do with what you touched and seen and and, and analyzed and faith is something that you have or you don't and uh, and it's much less scientific let's say yeah yeah absolutely true and you know I'm, I'm really testing what you're asking for here so you know there's five senses you know that's seeing hearing spelling tasting and touching okay so them senses the, uh, science can actually test them to see how strong or weak or powerful they are. But what about the spirit? Is there a spirit? We can't test it in science. It's not testable. So is there such a thing as spirit? Well, there's a great thing that God gives us that is the great test for us to understand whether there's something more than just the senses. And it's a thing called love. And God said it's the most important thing in the world. Love. That's how you test what the spiritual is. Okay, so um, obviously I've read the Bible five times on, on, on my sixth time now, but obviously some of the books a, a lot of times. And I'm looking and trying to understand what love is. And now then it relates to every relationship that you have. And when you really start testing what love is, which you can only find out from God, not from the, the scientist, the sports scientist or the rocket scientist, he only knows facts and figures and what is testable in science then you go on to a different realm. And of course, it's a fourth dimension, or possibly the fifth and sixth. So you're going on to different dimensions where there's re no real knowledge, except for the most important knowledge on the spiritual, and that's the Bible. That's what I've, you know, worked on. That's what I've listened to. I've, I've gone across a great lot of different works, you know, from the Far East and the Far West, all these different things. But it's always brought me back to the Bible as the word of God. You understand the word of God and then you pick up what's called a pattern or a model. It's a model of behavior for human beings is the Bible. It's a model of behavior. To read it and to understand it 
it's not as simple as going to one page and finding something you don't like and then thinking that's wrong. It's an explanation of everything and why we think and why we feel like we do and how we must give our love to God and he'll give his love back to us. And it's been a fascinating aspect of my life because I've probably spent 20 times as much time on um, looking at spiritual things than I have looking at physical things for sport. And people wouldn't normally think that. Well, that's where I've been studying. And within that spiritual boundary is all the knowledge that you need to be able to convert into seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. That, that's fascinating because in that, uh, I suppose you're aware, and if not, I'll tell you, you are at the vanguard of things as well. Because one thing that everybody seems to have realized in football is that, um, and everybody repeats it now, is that, yeah, it's fine to, uh, you know, to control and know and convert in exercises or the technical stuff and the tactical stuff and the physical stuff. But it's the mind that is the least explorer of, uh, of yeah. things in football. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the, um, in the book I did with, uh, with Mauricio Pochettino, he talks about the aura, how he feels and senses the aura of, of people. And now he, he has developed this sense for people. So he knows that five minutes sitting with somebody, uh, he's going to sign this guy or not, because that's not the final decision. But certainly there's something there, there's a chem chemistry that uh, he recognizes. And that's why exploring it. And he was very open to talk about it. You are talking about it as well and how you, uh, you've stood it. The, the spiritual side of of the athletes and the people that you work with, and I, and I guess part of that spirituality is the is the chemistry that gets created between people. Is that is that something that uh, that it's in that in that world? I'm talking about some of the athletes you've been with. All of a sudden, there is a click. There is something connecting you that is nothing to do with with anything else, but an invisible sense of of connection. What you're saying there, it, it sends me on to the, the story of um, Edwin van der Sar, because he was a big friend of um, Ruud van Nistelrooy. In fact, Ruud got him into United, I think, when you look at the story. And Edwin came in, now he's a big fella, you know what I mean? And I'm a very little fella. And uh, I remember him coming into the gym the first time, and I'm just training the lads, same as I normally am, little man with a big mouth and, and all this, and, uh, you know, just directing people what I thought was right. And he just stood there. Of course, he's Dutch as well, you know what I mean? So the Dutch are real, you know, observers. And um, I remember him turning around to me. In fact, it's probably where I got it from, where he turned around and said to me, little man with a big mouth. And then he walked out of the room. And I went, oh, no. What have I said? What have I done? You know, because I knew he was coming and Rude had talked about him. And I was really looking forward to this guy because... He was really what we needed at Manchester United, you know, when I heard about his history and, you know, what type of player he was and his, his stats, if you like. And uh, I really wanted to get on with him, you know, and and it was probably a, a week or so later because he was he was adapting and getting into uh, the system. And then we, we were just <clears throat> outside on the car park and there was this huge great car, I think it was probably a Mercedes-Benz or something like that, parked up and next to it, in his regular spot was a little compact BMW. And uh, I'm, I'm just walking to my little compact BMW and the guy in the big car gets out. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody about six foot six or whatever it was, you know, <laughs> getting out of a car. It's a huge thing appearing out of this massive vehicle. And he looked at me and he said something like, you know, is that your car? I said, yeah, he said, little man, little car. 
I said, oh yeah. I said, oh, big man, big car. Well, I'll tell you something here. There's something really, really big about me. He said, oh yeah, what's that? And you can imagine <laughs> what the thoughts were. I said, I've got a big R. And he stopped in his stride right then. I said, I have a big R. And he said, I know. That's why I'm going to come to see you tomorrow. And I want to start working on the programme for me. And within a couple of weeks of working on the programme from him, he introduced me to his wife, for me to train his wife, and then eventually his son as well. That touched my heart because that is not anything you can do in science. This is about spirit. It's about connecting with somebody because what they've seen, what they've done, what I've seen, what I've done, and then somehow your two personalities connect and you're really testing each other out. I don't think you can really know somebody in five minutes. I think you have a, 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 a lot more time needed to really understand somebody. But I'm not bothered about understanding people straight away. What I want to do is get the connection, get it clicked in. And that doesn't happen straight away because they need to know something about you. You need to know things about them. And then you build the relationship. And again, this is all spiritual. So when you really look at what's spiritual, you really look at what God has given us on earth to do to become friends to love each other and love is not about sex love is about having deep feelings and knowledge and understanding of what people need and how they take and how you really want to help them or whether you don't and you don't care about love and that's so important to me and these these um you know little stories they're from people that are really really connected with and that's what made it so special for me and it wasn't even my idea and i thought it was a crazy idea from steve but steve is quite a pushy fella and he was doing lots of things for me to make me feel really good in the works that he was showing me, the stuff that the, uh, the players were telling him. I, I was shocked on that, you know, so eventually I took on the idea. I went through all the physical stuff, you know, plyometrics, Olympic weightlifting and, and boxing and all this sort of stuff. But then you go on to brain cognition and, and the layering of emotions with, you know, um, vision, with hearing and then, you know, uh, ability to really see everything out on the pitch and, and not only on the pitch as well just in your life but you can go beyond that now I was very fortunate I started reading I, I really found God when I was 30 and from there on I researched all over the place in lots of different areas but I found that the Bible was the thing that was the book that's the word of God Jesus Christ on earth telling us what his father was saying also from the Old Testament Jesus Christ was the God of the Old Testament and he's telling us what needs to be. And he showed us how people will argue against it and how it will go against them if they do that. So I, I was really shocked at the story. But when I got to the end of the story, I, I, I want to give. I, I, I want to give it a go. I want to try the Ten Commandments. I want to try to understand God. I want to try to follow Jesus Christ. He gave his life for us. And I want to, I want to pick up my cross and follow him. But, you know, it's about learning about people and then working with people and loving people. And unless you really have an understanding of that, all this physical stuff, it can break down at any time and means nothing. Money and houses and cars. I see these people coming in, into Carrington, amazingly wealthy people. I didn't give a monkey's about that. It's their personalities. I, I look at why they must have succeeded because they had certain traits. And there was always this spiritual essence in and around these fantastic people in fact um, you've gone through a period in which there has been a transition in how sport but specifically football relates to that 
spirituality. Uh, I guess uh, 20 years ago, you talk about it and you get sacked from the national team, for instance. And now yeah, you are able to, to talk about it and, uh, and, and people, some of it, will listen to you and say, I, I want to explore more of that because it's, it's, touching, a, it's touching a chord. There's something there that, that Mick is saying that I, I, I believe it could help me. And in fact, as you were saying, you have a, you are you are applying it to your solutions, and you're not the only one. So we've gone through a period now in which you can talk about this, and it can help athletes and footballers, can it? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Well, I think the thing is, is um, like we had a chaplain. Now the chaplain at United, really nice guy, but he he didn't push uh, the Bible. He didn't push you know, um, whatever religion. He really wanted to listen to people and try to understand people. And I was very fortunate that people talked to me. So they would talk about their relationship with, with John. And uh, I, I sort of learned what he was doing. Then I learned what Bill Bessick was doing. I watched the manager and see what he was doing. Bill Bessick being a sports psychologist. Exactly. A psychologist there. you got a chaplain there. you got the manager there. Then just working down, you know, uh, Steve McLaren and and, and, and even to uh, Albert the kit man and, and the cook. You know what I mean? These people are very important parts of, uh, of the setup. There was one guy um, called Trevor Lee. He was the dietitian for 20 years. Absolutely marvellous man. And obviously when, you know, once things started, you know, these different people coming in, they couldn't understand how he was looking at nutrition because unless it said on the box, it's got this, it's got that, the other, then you don't do it, you know. But, you know, cows don't run around with, the, you know, how much percentage fat and <laughs> protein, etc. And, you know, a leaf doesn't tell you how much iron it's got in it. You know, but you've got to research these things. And so Trevor was a natural, a naturalist dietitian. And people like that are way beyond the sticker on the bottle, you know, and it telling you what's on there. It, obviously, we need to know these things now. But, you know, if you're a good nutritionist, you know these things and you know how to guide people onto eating healthy, eating right at the right times, the right amounts. And uh, he was really, really deeply spiritual in a sense that he had an understanding of people, and that's what it's about, understanding people. I don't think mm -hmm. that many understand people, because people find it difficult to understand themselves. And I'm one of them myself as well. I, you know, I'm not trying to say I know everything about myself, but I do try. But I sort of li listen to other people and recognise what I need to be recognising in myself. So back in the day, I was learning to be a power development coach by listening to others and what they needed. But now, from a spiritual point of view, you're listening to people and finding out what you need because of what other people need. You know, it, it, and it, it's being trained again. You know, so I, I'm in a fabulous position. I have been. I'm so fortunate in my life. We already have mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo, who is an important part of your, of your learning, as well as a, a turning point, I would say, even. And uh, how did you manage to get him involved in the book? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, my fears. Because obviously uh, you said about, you know, uh, you're in a job and you're wondering, you know, whether you're going to be found out. Well, what happened when Cristiano left and he did really well and then I left United? People, you know, uh, the media want stories. So I, I was asked to do a couple of stories and I did do and then it got more and more. And, and, and the likes of yourself came down to, oh, let's find out what this, what this guy knows. 
And so you start telling these stories, but then, you know, as things are going on, Cristiano was doing really, really well. And, and I always wondered, I wondered if he would even remember who I was. And that was a real bit of a, you know, a worry that he wouldn't even remember me, you know, and, and it would be embarrassing to have said all these things, but he doesn't even know who you are. Oh, I asked Cristiano about you and he didn't even know who you are. And it was quite a worry. Well, what happened was, is um, I, I left United um, 2011, but then Ollie became the manager. Now, Ollie, I worked with him, you know, for all the years that he was there. First of all, for his performance training and his rehab, because he spent a lot of time in rehab, and then he became the under-23s manager. And he asked me to travel with them because he recognised how much work I did with him that was off the ball, if you like. And he wanted me in the in on the coach and in the changing rooms, and I, and I went. I really enjoyed it because I, I did pick up a different aspect. But then, of course, uh, Ollie left. I left United, and then Ollie came back. What does he do? Come to see me, right? The the canteen ladies want to know when you're coming back. I said, look, Ollie, that's you know fantastic idea. I said, but I've just opened this business. You know, I've got a couple of business partners, really nice guys. I can't just go back to a football club. You know what I mean? And you know how. You know, football clubs, you can be there one minute and gone the next, you know. If you've been in the game, you know what it's like. And um, But I said, listen, um, our Michael has just finished at, at um, Sunderland. He was there 12 years. He went up with Roy Keane and he's worked under 17 managers. And I said, he's learnt a lot of stuff and he's just come out from Sunderland. And I think he's the ideal person for you. Well, all he played with our Mike. You know, he was there at the same time. And so he said, wow, you know, so... He got in touch, and of course, Michael went there. So, getting back to Cristiano Ronaldo, so Mike went there two and a half to three years ago. And then, what happens completely out of the blue? I never saw it coming. I really never saw it coming. He ends up coming back to Man United. And of course, I'd always talk to our Mike about the most important place you can be as a coach is in the gym. Because you see, sports scientists, strength conditioning, uh, analytics, they have an office. Well, my office was always in the gym because you're available to players who want to come and see you and talk to you. They don't want to be stood outside an office knocking on the door or making an appointment. They just want to go in and see you when they've got a problem. And let's talk about this because they can get, you know, the anger out of themselves or the upset out of themselves there and then and start a process. And I said, Mike, you must be in the gym. Well, of course. <laughs> When I left, I didn't allow televisions in the gym. I didn't, you know, in the end, I was getting towards no music even because I was seeing what needed to be done to really get these lads, you know, sparked up. They opened up the massive, the big hall as the gym, but they put a 40 foot TV in the place, you know, costing about a million quid or something, I'm told. These are just figures, but, you know, wow, how things have changed. Anyway, it was working there. So he had to take a bit of a grip on the place. And then what? who turned up? Cristiano. I couldn't believe it when I heard that he was going. And then, of course, when he did go, I couldn't believe that he, he said to her, Oh, Mike, how's your dad? How's your dad? And how's your brother, Stephen and, and, and Sean? It's like, wow. All that worry, all that pain of thinking that he wouldn't even remember. And he did, and, and it was absolutely fantastic. And, and Mike said, look, you know, uh, Cristiano wants to meet up. Obviously, it was a bad time, of the, you know, the, the, all this COVID thing and everything has caused so many disruptions and upsets. But, you know, we must get together sometime. 
And then, of course, we go on from that. Michael starts talking to him on a regular basis, training with some things. And, and then, ultimately, the book. I might just casually said to him one day, you know, uh, he's writing a book. Oh, that'd be really interesting. Because he, he did know that in the background, I was saying a lot of things about him internationally that I think probably helped him a little bit. You know what I mean? Because people did realise if you look at the guy, if you don't just go off the performance, because sometimes you have bad performance, no matter how hard you try in training, you know, how hard you try to develop something, it doesn't always go right. But when you've got somebody, you know, blowing the trumpet about you, you know, you can easily recognise somebody who's totally dedicated to the job, and there's the man, the most dedicated to his job that I could ever even imagine. Now, I'm not saying I know everybody, but I've just never seen anybody on that level. And so then, you know, he, he, he got involved with our mic and, and he even said he'd do the forward to it. So I was like, well, I never expected that. I don't know if, I don't think I've spoken to you about this, but uh, having met you when I was doing the, uh, the Ronaldo biography and hearing the story, which I would love you to retell of what happened when he first comes into the uh, gym and what happens when he leaves as well. I wrote it as uh, with your own words almost like a like a love letter because this this is somebody that changes your life and all of a sudden disappears and out of which almost consequently you leave football as well uh, and it was such an intense moment for your way of thinking uh that I, I i played with that a little bit i don't know if when you read it uh, it felt a little bit strange to you or what but that was the intention just to see how close you can get to somebody um that makes you better and challenge you in the way that, that Cristiano did. Uh, are, you okay? are you okay with that coming out that way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, somebody coming in and observing, listening to some of these stories, they're going to see it differently than you do yourself. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure Cristiano sees things totally different than I do, you know, when we were together, because you're all look, always looking at different angles. You know, so, yeah, uh, the thing about Cristiano was, he knew what he was getting into. I'm absolutely certain he wanted to go to Manchester United. He knew it was going to be an apprenticeship. He knew that Ryan Giggs was the guy that he needed to study and to really understand what he was doing to be so prolific. Because he came, you know, from being a young lad and doing so well and, and he's won everything virtually. But also you got the Edman, you know, um, Alex Ferguson there overlooking all this. So he knew that Alex Ferguson had put a good team, uh, a, a good team together, yeah, and he wanted to be a part of that. And what was going on? But he's a Real Madrid fan, so ultimately, you know, he wants to go there, but he wants to be at his best to go there. And so he came in, and he's looking round. He's not like the lads. Oh, I've got a Man United. It's a great opportunity, but you see, they see the opportunity as things have to come to them. But no, no, not Cristiano. No, I have to bring the opportunity to the club. That's a complete difference in the way that he was. And the way he did that was uh, the, the, the yardstick, I call it, the yardstick for how you must act and how hard you must work was Ryan Giggs. Easily, way beyond anybody else, Ryan Giggs was the man. And so he asked me you know, about Ryan and everything and I told him what he was like and everything. And what he was doing, putting all the parts together to make sure that he could have the best impact on his life. And obviously, we've gone through lots of things with Ryan, you know, as, as regards, you know, the seats, you know, the hamstring problems and all different types of training he wanted to do. He was big into the boxing. You know, I, I actually took yoga into United and did it myself because I used to do that years ago. But then we ultimately brought a yoga teacher in 
you know, thinking that that was the right way. And Ryan just took everything, listened to it, watched it, operated with it, and then he, he got rid of the things that he didn't think worked. So here's Cristiano. There's the role model. There is the model, is Ryan Giggs. But what um, Cristiano did, which is way beyond what most people do, he created a new model, a superior model of how to look after yourself, how to do the right things, how to have the right attitude, how to create friendships. And this is the reason why I, I never thought I'd tell the story about Cristiano doing the built by Cleggy bit. But I had to say that in the end because I, it was only in the end that I recognised what he was doing. And this is it. You know, he, he, we talked about him when winning the Ballon d'Or and I said, you'll not win it until the year after he did. And he said, no, no, I'm going to win it this year. Said no, no, it's a bit too soon. You're not quite getting in their matches, and you know what you're really capable of because you've still got time to learn yet. And no, I'm going to do it this year. And so it happened. And then he says to me, you know, he, he's going to uh, wherever the presentation was. And then he come back with the story of this girl, you know, they were talking to, and she had a great figure in everything. And she said, I can see you've got a great physique, you know. And he he, he does the double bicep built by Cleggy business. And of course, I'm walking. On a, on a treadmill and he's walking on a treadmill and I, I nearly fell off because I couldn't believe he would say something that, like that but remember you're you're in the house with a lots of psychologists now that wasn't saying to me that you've made me no way and I didn't take it that way what he was saying was thanks very much for your hard work because you've always been here for me and that really shows the intelligence of this guy he's very very intelligent because I bet it wasn't just me that he said really nice things to He'd have said them things to other people as well who've really helped him. And that's how you build a team around you. And that's a construction of a model. Guess where we find that model? It's in the Bible. That model is there. The pathway is there. And that's what Cristiano's creating and showing me what he's creating. And it's ideas from that years later that you recognise it because now I've got the strong action of the spiritual from the Bible and then I've got the memory of Cristiano Ronaldo as a young lad now he's just been to Real Madrid Juventus and now he's back at Man United again and and it all just comes out so obvious it's the same model he's using and I'm, I'm just blown out by that you know he told me and also the coaches that he worked with that everybody got better around him because the coaches that you had at the time would prepare sessions in a certain way but Cristiano will push you to just find something else he will, he will make a joke. Oh, are we doing this again? So that will be the coach being until, you know, midnight in the internet or something, just yeah, checking yeah, what yeah. else that could be done. So everybody got better around that, including yourself, who yeah. um, you, you told me you, you had a, a body of work ready to be taken from Cristiano to another Cristiano. But very soon you realize nobody's going to be able to to take it all in because there is no other Cristianos. And others that thought were Cristianos came into the gym and what happened? Yeah, if, if you watch people for a short period of time and then they speak to you about what they're doing, you can recognise that you have no chance compared with this guy because he was just so tuned in, you know. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was just a marvel to be around. And then when I started hearing things like he's big-headed and he's vain and all this sort, so you've no idea what that guy is like. You've absolutely no idea. And so, um, yes, I, I, I went off with the idea create the new Ronaldo well unfortunately you can't do that 
that would have to be another job that God gave me, you know, and sent the right materials and said, you better do it this way, lad, or else you're in trouble with me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because he's an absolute one-off. Now, um, just to finish with Christian, of course, there's no way, no matter how good he looks, that his body can give you what he gave him when he was 21 or 23 or 24. It's impossible. And yet he's managed to slow the clock down so he can still uh, give a lot to the team. But it's a shame, in a way, that it's not you, instead of your son, dealing with that because you will be dealing with an athlete who has been already at his peak physically and who has to deal with a lot of new things, which has to do not so much with the physique, but with the spirit and with the head and with the psychology around it. Um, would you like to deal with him right now? It's hard to say because what, what happens is I went through them great years and I learned so much. And my job then turned back to mainly kids again. And I was originally a kids coach, my own kids and then, you know, their mates and all that. And, and of course, I'm dealing with old people, young people, you know, and they're not all footballers. I'm working with a cerebral palsy uh, girl who just needs to learn to walk. You know, we've got to get her brain firing. So her, her legs work. And I'm having fascinating insights into, again, the way the brain works because of cerebral palsy it's given me a, a you know and it's because again it's because of cristiano's um you know the um rise of ronaldo have you seen that little four minute clip have you seen that yeah uh -huh. that the bbc did and they they saw that and and the mother just said there's a couple of things that you said in that and it's like that really sparked me i i want to i want my daughter to meet you although she's only four so you know what she said i want to meet you to see if you can help my daughter. And and I actually knew that I could as soon as we started working together. So then I, I've got other people who've, you know, who've got all sorts of different ailments and illnesses that I can do a little bit. Now, I always have to put a team around me. You know, um, if I'm working on a certain aspect, I've got to look for the right people. For, and I've got great people, you know, Steve Lyons, the podiatrist, and John Davin, the, the physiotherapist, and, you know, whoever. You can always put a team together to help that. So this is where I am. To do something special with Cristiano Ronaldo, it would have to be a special job. And the job of keeping Cristiano playing uh, football till he's in his 40s is not that difficult because he's got the principles. But there is a job that I would like to help him with. And I have spoke a little bit. And of course, people think I'm crazy. They've always thought I'm crazy. You know what I mean? Or they're going to used to say, oh, you're crazy, you know, um, Rio Ferdinand, you're up with the fairies. But for some reason, things come, come into my head. And as I'm watching players and I, as I'm watching time go by, I'm recognising the Cristiano, especially, you know, I get little bits of insights off how Michael and see a few things and hear a few things. It's obvious to me that now he's ready to take on a new job. And I think um, the new job is very simple. But you need the right team. So, in my eyes, there's only one job for Cristiano Ronaldo. And that's manager of Manchester United as a player. Player manager of Manchester United. But to do that, he has to have a team. Now, there's two particular individuals that I would say are the most important for Cristiano to have to do that. And the two people that love him. And that is Roy Keane and it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, I know what Ole's been in as a manager of Man United. And now he's not there. But I'll tell you what, Oli loves Manchester United. And I know that if Oli got offered the right job 
the perfect job for it. He would go and do it. And I know that Roy, I watched him. He, he, he could be a great manager is it in his own right if only would it be given the chance. But he's proved to me. So I watched him with Martin O'Neill, you know, and I listened to him because we were still in contact during them phases, you know what I mean? I thought, that's great that you can come from really wanting to be a manager that's going to be looked at seriously and given proper opportunity to become a manager. But then say, no, okay, I'll go and do some more apprenticeship with Martin, who's a great guy, you know, and he worked with him. Now, to me, the three that should run Man United is Cristiano Ronaldo as the manager, player manager, with them two guys at his side. So And yet, Mick... I just think he's still he's still thinking of the game as how can benefit him. Absolutely, uh, and and it's normal because perhaps, well, not not perhaps because he cannot cover as much ground, he cannot be as influential. So the way to survive in this jungle is to to change the context so he benefits you. I don't think he's thinking of twenty five yet. <laughs> I think he's thinking of one. Uh, but in any case, somebody that um, somebody that is reaching to a point where the running machine should slow down a bit, the running machine being this thing in life that we're all in, uh, to a point where you have to to stop in about four or five years' time. And again, who's going to help him with that? It'll have to be somebody like yourself who has been in his head and understands it. But perhaps we we're not there yet. He, he, he wants the running machine to be still at full speed. Uh, that's Cristiano. Do you know, I've taken a lot of time of you already, and uh, this is not as I expect the conversation to go. There are not another 20 questions that have to do with something else. But uh, but I, I, I'm glad that uh, that I've spoken to you. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you come out with a book that explains not only not only your job, but uh, how you got to take decisions. And, uh, and it's a different way. It's completely a different way. And, uh, and I hope that, uh, that the book does as well as it deserves. So, Mick, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for yours as well. Nice to see you again, Willem. Nice to see you again.